Hi everyone, this is Jalisha from Sharebird. Thanks for being a loyal listener of our podcast. We're excited to announce that we just launched Sharebird Premium, a content library of proven playbooks, case studies, templates, and lessons learned used by product marketing leaders at the fastest growing companies, including many of who have been guests on this show. Start critical projects off right and avoid costly mistakes with Sharebird Premium. Visit sharebird.com playbooks to get access. You're losing 30% of your deals to competitors. Not cool. That competitive revenue gap is costing your business millions of dollars. So how do you tip the scale in your favor? Clue's competitive enablement platform makes it simple for product marketers and compete pros to give their revenue teams the exact right intel at the exact right time. Positioning, messaging, objection handling, and FUD. Clue shares real-time competitive insights in the places your reps already live and makes it easy for them to contribute insights from the field. Welcome back to season five of the Product Marketing Experts Podcast. Today, I am really excited to have Flip connect with me, the VP of Product and Industry Marketing at none other than Twilio. Twilio is a SaaS juggernaut, an infrastructure juggernaut, and I'm really, really excited for this conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, everyone. It's great to be with you today. I've got an interesting story on how I came across becoming a product marketer. It came into the form of one of my first job out of college. So I was working at Forrester Research as an analyst. And as you all know, all of us as product marketers, you know, have to talk to analysts on a regular basis. And when you're an analyst, you see a lot of product marketers. And in full honesty, I've received so many terrible product or company pitch from product marketers, actually. And I don't want to date myself here, but that was definitely more than 20 years ago. And I'm like, this is, you know, this is a job that I can do and I can do it so much better than a lot of those product marketers. So very quickly after working at Forrester, I spent close to five years over there. I decided to just like see what I can do in product marketing and how we actually can do better. And that's basically how I came about loving and being passionate about the role of product marketer. Love that. Yeah. Seeing real product marketing examples. And I imagine in your position at Forrester, you got a chance to hear a lot of pitches and probably evaluate a lot of pitches and claims that those companies were making, so to speak. So it probably gave you a really good perspective on, you know, good versus great product marketing, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. Being on the receiving end, you really quickly identify the good from the bad and you see, unfortunately, more bad than you see good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Curious to learn. I mean, obviously Twilio is a phenomenal company. You know, we had some recent acquisitions of segments and, and forth. And curious about how you think about as the product marketing lead at Twilio, about how you think about team structure. In my mind, Twilio has really become this indispensable infrastructure brand with solutions that really span a lot of different areas from customer engagement, marketing, product, customer service. And so curious how you think about structuring your team across all the products and the markets that you respectively sell into. Yeah, no, definitely. So the way, and 
there's a lot of school of thoughts here on how you go about organizational. I think here at Twilio, and the way I've seen it also, like in my past careers also, is we are trying to align as much as possible from a product standpoint. So we're looking at some of the products that we need to bring to market and really kind of like trying to align the product marketer specifically to those products. There's definitely also a lens that we're just trying to take specifically on personas and also use cases that we are trying to solve. I mean, we live in a world where, especially as you grow as a company, you are enabling use cases or you are solving problems that will span, hopefully the product team did their job, that will span across many products. The buyers doesn't really care how the sausage making is made at the solution or at the use case level. This is not their problem. You know, when you go and order spaghetti bolognese at the restaurant, you're not making an order for pasta, for tomato sauce, or for ground beef. You make an order for a dish. And that's the same way we're trying also to organize our teams here is really by focusing specifically on either the product that we're trying to take to market or the use case that we're trying to take to market. Of course, layering up on top of everything, you need to make sure that whatever you're trying to do from a company perspective, you're trying to lift mind share or change a perception. You also have people in your team that whole job is actually to focus on changing the perception or also lifting the mind share. Absolutely. So that's kind of like the way we look at it. The thing is, I've seen also product marketing changing a lot over the years. It's the way I used to do product marketing 20 plus years ago and the way we're doing it now is absolutely different. There's definitely a function that product marketer needs to do that 20 years ago they were not doing. If you think about 20 years ago, what was a product marketer doing? They were just building their landing page. They were building their pitch deck. And that was pretty much it. And now we get to a point where they need to be the quarterback behind the demand gen machine. They need to work across so many different teams. Sometimes they need also to help deliver customer stories. So we also have to think about, you know, what are the other functions that they've been asked to perform? A hundred percent agree. And I'm glad you brought that up. That was going to be one of my questions as well. Product marketing has changed a lot. And so have you, at Twilio, have you broken out some of those responsibilities into separate teams? Or do you think of some of the folks on your team as, for lack of a better phrase, kind of a jack of all trades, so to speak, being able to influence that demand gen machine, handle go-to-market motions, and kind of everything in between? Yeah. So... Product marketing at Twilio, and I've seen that in my previous role when I was at Google also, needs to definitely leaning into two things that potentially they were not doing as much in the past. Number one is the demand gen machine. We live in a world where more and more decisions are to purchase you know, a piece of software or product are done online, or they're done outside of a sales-driven type of approach. And 
it's important for the product marketer to be plugged into the go-to-market and the demand gen motion and the self-serve aspect of things. That's inevitable. And I was talking to some of my peers at other companies and some heads of demand gen or growth at other companies. And I think we're all trying to solve this problem right now. It's like, how can we put meaningful content in front of our buyer through the self-service channel? Like that's definitely a big challenge that every product marketer needs to think about right now. The second one where I've asked my team to lean in a lot more is around customer stories. You, if you are a buyer, if you are someone deciding to select a customer engagement platform or an infrastructure or a cloud providers, you know what you're going to get from each of those vendors. The analogy that I use all the time is if you want to go to eat a pizza or if you want to go to eat sushi or you look for sushi places around you, you know what's going to be on the menu ahead of time. You know there's going to be spider roll, you know there's going to be miso soup, you know there's going to be your typical roll. Every sushi restaurant carries the same menu. Something about a pizzeria. So if you think about, for example, how do you differentiate, you know, AWS from Google Cloud, from Microsoft, you know, those guys are providing exactly the same service, the same product. What do people look at right now? What do you look when you are on Yelp? You don't look at the menu. You look at the reviews. You look at what your peers are actually saying about the restaurant. And you make your decision based on the number of stars. You make your decision based on the number of customer reviews. And the same thing is right now happening in a B2B software world. You know what you're going to get from Twilio and its competitors. You know exactly what you're going to get from AWS and their competitors. It's described by Gartner and their Magic Quadrant and all those other market research firms. Now you want to basically hear from the customer's point of view how they've solved that problem, how good the experience was. And this is where I'm now leaning into the product marketers to basically do a really good job at getting those customer stories in front of prospects and buyers. Completely agree. Couldn't agree more, actually. And I want to hop back to something you said on the earlier part of that answer around the alignment and influence on demand gen, even sales as well. I'm curious how you think about, I, I think every product marketer talks about the importance of sales alignment, but once you start drilling a layer deeper or a few layers deeper, it gets into a lot of generality. So I'm curious how you think more specifically about not only that alignment, but how you think about maybe shared goals or how you think about really helping truly drive that demand gen engine from a product marketing lens? Is it really around uh, campaign generation and kind of topics that are critical to you, to your audience, or topics that are maybe coming down the roadmap from the product team? Is it something else entirely? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in your question here. <laughs> uh, so the sales alignment, I think the first thing that we need to get with the sales alignment is what are the winning use cases or where do we win? I think that's kind of like what I've seen a lot of disconnect in the past in all my companies is let's just start, try to throw the kitchen sink at the sales team and try to give them some data on what has been successful. Does that align with them? And just making sure we enable them very well on what they're going to sell. Let me give you an example. We had a product line at Twilio, which 
we really had a hard time positioning. That happens a lot. I think sometimes you just have a great product market fit on the company. You start getting into a new set of products and you launch them and it's just not as successful as you might want it to be. And very simply, what we did is basically we looked at all our customers. We're like, okay, can we just do an analysis on use cases? And what we found out very quickly was that 80% of our revenue was coming from only three use cases across the entire install base. And not really specifically the use cases that we, you know, were thinking of. And suddenly you share your data with a sales team. You're like, hey, those are the top three use cases that are the, the winning ones for us. It's like, actually, that makes sense. And instead of like praying and praying across like plenty of use cases and products, like how about we refocus our effort around those three specific use cases, track the progress, produce better content around them, better competitive intelligence, and just making sure we win and align also the demand gen machine on where those use cases are actually coming from. Because sometimes they might not just not be coming where they're coming from. So to go back to your answer, like how do we align? First of all, we need to align where we sell and where we target. I think that sounds kind of like trivial in a way, but instead of like going straight to like, oh, we need to align on the results. Well, how about we align where we're going first? And then once we've got this, we need to align on what you said, the results. It's like, what are we aiming for in terms of QL and SQL? And what I always ask my team to do is, can we just make sure the opportunities are moving well along the funnel and something is not moving properly? Let's just go do some forensic. Are we having an issue on the onboarding on the product? Are we having an issue on closing those deals? Are we missing, I don't know, specialized sales team or are the solution engineer just not doing their job? So the way I'm aligning everyone and I'm trying to is really on where do we start? Where do we go? And then trying to do as many touch-based as possible with the team to make sure, you know, I run my team, we do monthly marketing review cross-functionality here. I think those are extremely beneficial. I call them more like therapy session, more than trying to share the progress because we need to expose the problem that we're having. That's kind of like the way I, I look at it. And also the fact that everything is just moving so much. I mean, over like the last five years with this move to online and COVID accelerating the digital transformation so fast, we just need to be extremely aware, extremely aligned and communicate with the sales team, with the enablement team, and also with the product team. You know, if the product doesn't respond to what the market wants, the product team needs to adjust and we need to bring the feedback back. Love that. Love the way you framed that around aligning at the kind of starting line, so to speak, and ensuring that you have kind of shared targets and who to go after, and then kind of aligning at the finish line as well, ensuring that you have kind of shared goals, shared metrics that you're measuring, and then forensically analyzing those as well. That's a great way to look at it. Maybe to take another perspective, I'm curious how you think about kind of some messaging, right? With a odd product portfolio that's spread out, as I mentioned earlier, around customer engagement, marketing, product, customer service, and more. Curious, how do you think about tying messaging together across your entire portfolio, but also how do you ensure that that messaging goes deep enough for the marketers, for example, for those respective products or product lines? Yeah, no, that's the core of what we do in product marketing. So 
there's really three things that I want to make sure that we tie our messaging into. Number one, and you talked about this, like go from top to the bottom. I mean, at the top, we absolutely need to have pillars, you know, in which each of those messaging will actually attach themselves into. So if you go on Twilio.com, if you go on cloud.google.com, my previous company, you will see that there's always like a why Twilio, why Google Cloud, why this main company. Each of those companies need to have those pillar that really define who they are and why you need to select this company. It's not so much about the value, but really what makes them different. Those pillars could be our trust, our security, our developer focused, you name it, every company has their why. And this is where generally I try to anchor everything at the top level. At the second layer, just what you describe is looking at each of those product and how this messaging and positioning to some extent, because without positioning, there's no messaging. You really kind of like anchor themselves into the main message that we're trying to define the company. My job at my level is also to make sure not only the product works together, but they reinforce what we want the company to become or to be perceived at. That's extremely important. I mean, you mentioned Twilio, you mentioned the developer. Guess where are we trying to do right now? You know, we're definitely trying to appeal to the enterprise market. It's very funny because when you are a developer company, you want to appeal to the enterprise market. And when I talk to my Microsoft friend, they want to appeal more to the developer. Nobody's never happy, but that's another topic. <laughs> but that's number one. Number one, you have the white Twilio with your pillars. Number two is basically you talk at the product level and all your product messaging really speaks specifically to each of those audience. And at the same time, just really reinforce some of those pillars that you want your company to be portrayed as. And then after, I think at the third layer is, this is something that I'm extremely passionate about is how your messaging has as little words as possible and as much data as possible. I mean, I learned that from my days at Forrester where everybody is just bombarding you with words. When in reality, they don't need to be there. Just give me a stats, give me data that really kind of like reinforces why your product is better. Let me ask you a question. If you want to go buy a sports car, let's just say you're hesitating between a Lamborghini and a Ferrari, what are you going to look at? Oh, gosh. I'm going to, I mean, I'm probably going to look at horsepower. I'm going to look at um, exactly zero to 60 times, you know, all zero to 60. Exactly. So you just gave <laughs> me two. We didn't, just for the audience, we didn't even prep that one, but it, <laughs> you just give me two data points horsepower and zero to 60. And this is what I always tell my team, just give me your zero to 60 compared to the competition. And by default, it's like, okay, you want to buy a sports car. You want it fast. Your zero to 60 needs to be better, period. End of the story. And that's really also like the last thing, you know, when you go really, really deep at the top, you've got, you know, I pick the company and then you look at the product. Okay, great. That's the one. And at the end, it's like, why this one compared to the competition? And that's really what I want everyone to think about is what is your zero to 60? And I think as much as I can, 
sometimes it's really hard, I know, because sometimes it's doing benchmark is hard, but as much as I can, I generally love to just do a launch with a good benchmark. I know the lawyers are never happy about that, but really putting the product on the bench and just running a benchmark, ensuring how superior your product is, just helps the buyer make a decision. And that's kind of like the way I look at it. Absolutely. I love that. I'm a big proponent of leading with data, but I think a lot of times taking that strong stance and really helping guide the buyer can go, of course, a long way to helping them make a great decision. Yeah. No, I mean, as product marketer, I don't know why we do that to each other. I don't know why we want to write long prose, write a lot of content. Just to share an anecdote here, Twilio is the leader in the past. We're have 300,000 customers. And it's funny, like we just did a review of a lot of messaging documents. He was reading like, we're actually not really the leader because people have a tendency to just describe and talk about things. And what I told my team is just doesn't show that you're the leader, but put those big stats out there. Don't let an open door for the competition to sneak in. So I would just say, to everybody is listening to us. If you are the leader, make sure you show up and you act as the leader. If you're not the leader, look at the open doors that your competition is actually letting open. They do a lot of that. And it's just a way when you're number two, number three, or an outsider in an industry to just really get into the, under the skin of the market leader. It's a lot about showing and not just telling, right? Showing with the data, proving out not only what customers you, you have, but you know, the maybe breadth of your infrastructure and, and so forth, or whatever your product line is, but proving that out through the data and showing how you are kind of the best in maybe that category or that space. It, it could be yeah. important. Yeah. And uh, be opinionated. And the last thing I want to add in your messaging, just be opinionated. I know there are some industries out there that sometimes it's just tough to be opinionated and maybe one that I'm you know, top of mind would be healthcare. Sometimes you just have to give options to the patient. I got an example on that. Like, unfortunately, one day I broke one tooth and I got the dentist who gives me three options. One is to pull the tooth, the other one to replace the tooth, another one to give a bridge. It's like, I don't want to have to make a decision for my health. I want the best solution for me. And I think also like a lot of product marketers, sometimes we have a tendency to just do you know, a lot of good work on like, hey, I got your problem. I understand your problem. Here's how we can solve it. I'm like, okay, great. I'm listening. You got me. And at the end, we bring this slide that says, hey, we've got three options to help you solve this. This one, this one, this one. No, I have an opinion on which one is the best one for your audience or for your buyer to solve the problem. They need it. They need you as an expert to help them solve the problem. Don't offer them options. For sure. And, and that goes into product marketing, landing the proverbial plane here, so to speak, and the deep work that we can oftentimes do in things like pricing and packaging, things like, I mean, even the demand gen machine, like emotions and upgrading, you know, so forth. Yeah, exactly. What you said just makes a lot of sense. If you go through an upset and cross set motion, you know, which one is the next best one? Exactly. And I, I want to jump back to messaging just real quick, because I don't think this was talked about enough over the past, let's just say year and a half or so, but I'm curious, 
how the current maybe economy and even the pandemic to an extent, if that is even still impacting you and the team at Twilio, but curious about how the economy and the pandemic has potentially impacted your messaging. And if you've looked at, or maybe you are currently looking at, given what you just said a few minutes ago about changing your messaging as a result of some of those factors. So I think it's to give a quick answer to your question. Yes, it did. And I think over the years, I think messaging always gets impacted by microeconomic condition or situation or anything that is external that happens to your industry. So I would just say we should all constantly update our messaging based on what's happening outside. And the pandemic, of course, being a big driver. So what is happening? And I just can tell you a little bit what we've done at Twilio and even to some extent what I've done when I was at Google. The buyers, as we all know, the buyers are exhausted. The buyers are to a point where they're BS meter is actually extremely low and the buyers just need to get a messaging that is crisp, that is free of jargon, that is free of false claims, and that is more direct to them. I think this is where we are right now. It was very interesting because I kind of like this is an opinion that my team and I kind of like came upon ourselves. I didn't talk too much with a lot of my peers on that, besides the fact that we agreed to say we need to do the better. But last week I was at a conference. I was in Florida. I was at Enterprise Connect, which is the biggest conference for contact center and CPAS and mainly CCAS. And it was impressive to see such a shift across all the tagline that you have on the booth. And how all of a sudden, I mean, it used to be my favorite exercise to just go look at tagline and just take pictures to see which one is the most ridiculous one in terms of the tagline means nothing. And everybody, I think, agrees that our messaging and our taglines really just needs to be more down to earth and just show what it is, how we're doing it, and why we're better. So going back to your question, it definitely had an impact and we need to really not dumb it down, but simplify a lot of the things that we've done to really speak the language of our personas and just really be in tune with our persona that we're engaging with. A hundred percent. I saw a, I don't know if you know, Patrick Campbell, the CEO of ProfitWell and ProfitWell was acquired by Paddle, but he put out a tweet at this point, it was probably about a month ago. We can link to the tweet in the show notes here, but he basically said that uh, for any product marketers who haven't shifted their messaging as a result of the pandemic, like now is the time. And he pulled up some data that showed what people were prioritizing. And if memory serves me correctly, again, it was about a month ago. And so I may be misremembering a little bit, but I believe buyers are now prioritizing money saved, time saved, like things like that. And it was critical for, in other words, for product marketers in maybe some of those markets and maybe MarTech or productivity to be thinking about those sort of things. And so that even ties back to your earlier point about that leading with some of that data. And I think some of those studies are critically important as well. Yeah. And I think, and this is where like sometimes you live in a, you work in a company that has many buyers, but each buyers are like in different pocket of the organization with different budget. One of our buyers is the marketer audience. As you know, the marketer's budget got decimated. So of course, there's just a lot of 
update to do on the messaging side, but what do you do for like the IT audience? That might have not been as decimated from a budget standpoint, but at the same time has to do some extremely strategic investment on some specific pieces where the money aspect might not be the main issue, to be honest. It might be time to market. So you're right. Like you just need to make sure that you need to understand intimately what's going on in your buyer's mind and what was true in March of 2021 is totally different from what you put out there in March 2022. And I get it. It's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. But unfortunately, this is the world we live in. For sure. It makes a lot of the work product marketing does defensible in a lot of cases. The fact that we, as long as we're updating our messaging fairly regularly and actually putting in that effort, because you're right, it it is hard work. And it's a little bit of a pain if, if we're being probably totally candid and honest, having to update messaging constantly. But the fact is, it's so worth it at the end of the day for the overall organization and the sales team. Yeah. And do not wait for a major event that you see that is big. Unfortunately, your competition is also pushing you to update your messaging. Like that's also another one that just makes things extremely tiring. So then look at what your competition released, what's new product, how they're talking about it. I mean, I'm coming from an infrastructure perspective where we launched the cloud providers over the last seven, eight years. The amount of innovation that was thrown was insane. Like you get... If you are at AWS, you get the lead for a few months on something and all of a sudden you got the competition that reacts and you just need to do it. Like it is all the time, all the time. It's basically macroeconomics. It's also your competition. It's also geopolitically driven. I mean, there's just areas all the time and you cannot touch on them, but the big one, just make sure you don't stay stale and just update it as often as you can. Exactly. Completely agree. One more question. Curious if maybe you've had a mentor in your career or a leader, or maybe even just read an influential book that meant a lot to you, or even listened to a podcast. And curious if you can just share one piece of insight that has served you well throughout your product marketing career. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. I have a couple of mentors that I consult all the time from a career standpoint. I think that those are my kind of like two pillars that really helped me. But at the same time, also what I try to sprinkle myself with is there's always one good thing, even in the people that you don't really admire, there's always that one good thing that you always notice in someone. It's like, oh, I don't really like this person, but this person does this really, really well. It could be the way they present themselves. It could be the way they respond to questions. It could be the way they organize their work and etc. So for me personally, at my personal level, it would be, of course, my mentor and observing how people do things and picking a little bit of everything. I think that really helped me a lot. So I'm not sure if this is an advice for everyone, but yeah, obviously everybody needs to have a mentor. When it comes to working with my team and my working style, radical candor has always been my go-to. We have the luxury, for the most part, to work with very, very smart people. So just trust the people. Trust the people around you and just be totally open about the way you interact with them. So when something goes well, just tell them something goes well. When something doesn't go well, just tell them. And I think just being frankly honest with people, I think it's a sign of respect 
And at the same time, I think it's a sign of trust with them. And to me, radical candor has just been something that really fit also my personality as a human being, because this is kind of like the way I was raised and the way I, I want to continue to interact with my teams. That is a great tip to end on. It is a phenomenal one as leaders and for anyone listening to this who is maybe aspiring to get into product marketing or grow through the ranks of product marketing, always a great one to keep in your mind. And it requires, I think, at least being very intentional, especially in a pretty remote world still to this day, pulling people aside and having those conversations as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Philip. I appreciate your time. It was a pleasure speaking with you and thank you for sharing all of your wisdom and insights with us on the Product Marketing Experts podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. Really, really enjoyed being with you today. This show is produced by Sharebird, the knowledge sharing platform for the fastest growing teams. It's the place to get on-demand answers to your questions and learn from leaders at the top of their field. Want more advice and insights? Check out sharebird.com.